Welcome to the 102nd episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Stephen Romano, author of the new thriller novel, Resurrection Express. I also wanted to mention at the outset and just remind you, if you have not reviewed the podcast in iTunes yet, if you could just take a minute or two and leave me a review in iTunes. Uh, The reason that I ask that is not for my own ego, but it helps other people find the podcast. So if you have found this podcast and these interviews helpful to you or interesting, if you could just take a minute or two, go to iTunes and and leave a quick review of the podcast. I appreciate it. And now on to the interview with Stephen Romano, author of Resurrection Express. Thanks. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Stephen Romano, author of the new novel Resurrection Express. Resurrection Express has received rave reviews from many noted suspense and thriller writers, including Greg Ruka, Blake Crouch, Tom Piccarilli, and many others. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Good, good. Well, first, can I ask you to read the first three or four paragraphs of Resurrection Resurrection Express? Oh, my God. Why would you want me to do that? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, absolutely. Um, It starts with, um, with kind of a a mission statement, if you will. That's like a very short paragraph. And then it goes to the, to the first chapter proper. So that's what you'll be getting. You'll be getting those sort of, you know, kind of thought inside his head first, and then you'll be getting the first action scene. So here we go. Everyone wants to believe they can be saved. Everyone wants to take it to the promised land. Everyone wants to know that they are the heroes of their own lives, that it all means something in the end, that they are righteous in the face of so many mistakes and sins. Everyone wants to be resurrected. A lot of us die very disappointed. Tony, I will resurrect you. Chapter 1, 5%. My fist connects with the soft spot in Cooley's right cheek just above his lower jaw, and I hear teeth shatter under my knuckles. I hit him just the way you're supposed to, arms straight out, wrist stiff like steel, all forward thrust, anchored from the shoulder and popped like a coiled spring at my elbow. You turn your whole arm into a concrete piston when you do that. This guy, he's big and all, but big doesn't mean anything when you go straight for the face. A monster can't grow muscles on his teeth. Giant guys who were used to victory by intimidation never expected to come right at them like this, not ever. Cooley stumbles back all day, the knockout reflex working overtime. I hit him next in the throat, a jiu-jitsu-style straight jab with my fingers. His windpipe closes with a sick crack, and he loses all his air. When he drops the shank and reaches up to grab his throat, I kick him dead center just below the belt. That cancels the fight. But just to be sure, and to make it nice and showy for the boys, I swing around again with the heel of my foot, and something that looks like a big red tomato bomb explodes in the center of his face. He goes down on the dirty asphalt, dreaming about whatever. The crowd goes crazy, like it's a football game. The smell of blood crawls up my nose, sharp and wet and stinging, like salt water dripping from a rusty razor. I never get used to that. I always avoid it. But some things are inevitable. <laughs> Great. Well, if the, if the listeners haven't heard about Resurrection, Resurrection Express uh, yet, how would you describe the novel? 
Well, it's a it's a fast action thriller with a kind of mystery at its heart, and it's very romantic in its own way. Uh, it's a first person narrative, obviously. Uh, it's very tough. It's very uncompromising, uh, but it also appeals to a lot of people. I think I, I've noticed that a lot of women seem to be really plugging into it. Um, the main character is this sort of hopeless romantic trapped in the body of a, of a very skilled uh, criminal professional, uh, and he, you know, he can. He's he's very he's very well trained at robbing banks and doing computerized heists and uh, so he's very much in demand by the criminal underworld. Um, he's also very good with his hands and feet, as you just heard. He's, he's very good he's very good at defending himself and attacking people if he needs to. Um, but he's also not a killer. Uh, his father is a killer, and so there's this legacy that's been passed down to him. And uh, he's very obsessed with the memory of his dead wife when the thing starts, and he's been shot in the face. Uh, and is recovered from that. And so he developed a form of face blindness that prevents him from seeing any memories that are uh, fully formed of his wife. And so he's kind of like half mad when we first catch up with him and he's in prison. And he gets out of prison and uh, he goes on that one last heist and it turns out that his wife may or may not still be alive and he gets in a lot of trouble and it, it escalates until it kind of evolves from a claustrophobic chase thriller into something far more uh, epic and insidious and uh, world-threatening. So I've been referring to it as the getaway uh, meets Mission Impossible by way of Jason Bourne, directed by Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> and, I, and I use those, the film uh, you know, analogy more than anything else because it's a very cinematic book. It's very involving. It gets you right from the beginning. And you feel like you're watching a film. You feel like you're kind of experiencing it. Great. Well, I, I know that you've written original screenplays and screenplays adapting short stories and other work. Did Resurrection, Resurrection Express start out originally as a screenplay for you? Uh, it did and it didn't. Uh, I I kind of stole some ideas from an old screenplay that I had written with a gentleman named Brian Gear, uh, whom I dedicated the book to, by the way, uh, many, many, many years ago, back in 1990. Uh, but I didn't have any of the characters or the situations or anything. I just took a couple of ideas that actually were mine all along. And uh, I, I just kind of I kind of transplanted them into this other story. But other than that, no, it, wa it wasn't. It was a completely original project uh, that I developed uh, when I was working with, a, with an editor at Little Brown and Company uh, in uh, 2010. And actually the... the the entire intent of the project was not to do a film thing, to do something that would be a novel uh, that might be good to be made into a movie later. But I was very interested in getting back into pure fiction because I'd had a, a few very frustrating years as a screenwriter. As a screenwriter, the biggest hazard that you have is that you do you work a lot, if you're lucky, of course, uh, but, you, but you don't see a lot of your stuff made into movies. You know, a lot of it goes on the shelves because studio executives, they live to, to, to red light movies, right. you know, because they want to keep their jobs. Most movies fail, just like most books fail. And no one wants to take the blame for that. So they all they turn things down left and right. And when they green light something, everybody's always afraid for their jobs. You know, so you, you end up kind of, you know, uh, holding the bag, so to speak. They pay you pretty good, but but you don't have much of a career, really. It's like a phantom career. So I was very interested in writing more books and, uh, you know, being able to talk about them like this with gentlemen such as yourself. 
Sure. Well, when you sat down to write the novel, what was the writing process like for you? Did you know exactly where you were going with the book, or or did it unfold while you were writing? I, I tend to write in a manner that unfolds as I write it. I, I actually did do an outline for Resurrection Express, but I find that writing in that way, where you sort of put an outline in front of you and try to follow it, um, it's nice for your peace of mind at the time while you're outlining it, and it probably is good for the editor that you may or may not be working with um, because they, they can see what your plan is. But it really, to me, it's the depth of art uh, to, to think in that way because what happens is you, you get going on a trajectory when you're actually writing it. This is what happens for me anyway. And you, you find that it takes you in all of these new directions. You find that the characters open their mouths and start speaking in their own languages and in their own words, rather. And they want you to, to do things, and you have no control over it. Um, Stephen King always refers to it as finding found objects, because that's how he writes also. Mm -hmm. And a lot of writers do that. William Gibson does that, too. And so, and a lot of other writers, like Warren Ellis, can't understand it at all, because those guys live to outline things. You know, they're, they're comic book writers, mostly. Right. And so they have to outline stuff. They, they, almost, they have to outline stuff years in advance because they're writing like Transmetropolitan, for example, which had a whole story trajectory mapped out in advance. Um, but for me, writing a thriller like Resurrection Express with just tons of twists and turns and the things that are going to grab the audience by surprise, you have to surprise yourself while you're writing it. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Um, and so that's, that's... I went into it with an idea of of, of, you know, what it was and where it was going to go eventually. Um, but I even deviated in certain ways from that as I was writing it. But I kept to the basic idea and, uh, and uh, the basic heart of the story and the character. And to, and to me, whenever I write a book like this, which is very, um, very full of worldview and attitude in the first-person sense, um, you know, the, that voice is always the most important thing, and that's where you're going to find some really wonderful things. Sure, sure. Well, I wanted to talk about your book, Shock Festival, which you wrote several years ago. And for those mm -hmm. listening that, that haven't heard about it, Shock Festival is very different than the straight-ahead straight thriller of Resurrection Express. <laughs> with, with, with Shock Festival, you basically wrote and created a huge coffee table book with 600 illustrations about fictional B-movie filmmakers and creators I'm just curious about the, first of all, did I describe it correctly? And second of all, um, what what led you to that creation of, of Shock Festival? Well, first of all, yes, you did describe it pretty accurately. And, uh, and second of all, uh, I am, when I'm not writing, and sometimes even when I am writing, I'm a, a, a huge fan of exploitation cinema. I, I love these crappy movies. And part of the biggest appeal of exploitation film, I think almost 60 to 70% of it is the advertising hype. I so wish that I could have lived in New York during the days of the 42nd street, Times Square grindhouse, you know, because those places were like the most beautiful. That would have been like Oz to me, <laughs> you know, like walking down the street and seeing all those marquees, like one after the other with all those beautiful artwork, the posters and the and the and the lobby cards and the day bills and they would plaster all those theaters with. And I've been fascinated with movie poster art 
forever. And I was around to see the video age start in the early 80s, where it was a similar kind of uh, hard sell, you know, where you, they, they had everything out on VHS tape back then, even more so than is on any other format today, to this day. And, you know, you'd go in the video store and, and you get suckered in by the most beautiful boxes. Charlie Band was a master of doing all of that. And his companies like Wizard Video and, uh, you know, whatever else. And, and uh, full, moon, full Moon nowadays, but like back then he had Empire Pictures. And so the whole sleazy allure of, of movie poster art for exploitation films has just been a big deal in my life. And if you were in my house right now, you would see that my entire... Uh, living space, every wall in my in my abode is uh, covered in that kind of movie exploitation artwork. But my wallpaper is literally just one poster after another. So I've been fascinated with that, and you know, I've always wanted to do a book of movie posters for films that didn't exist, which just seems like a no-brainer. What a neat idea! You know, you you it's like a great idea for an art book. And then I was talking about the idea to my friend who you mentioned earlier, Tom Piccarelli, who's a brilliant writer and a, and a good friend of mine. And he, he suggested the idea of doing short stories or something to go with the, with the posters. And, um, and I thought, well, wait a minute. What if, we, what if these movies actually did exist and there was a whole history that spanned you know, the two or three decades I'm very familiar with in terms of exploitation film? Because I'm a pretty knowledgeable person about that stuff. So I started thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. And then I just developed this, incredible, you know, harebrained scheme to, to do uh, hundreds of movie posters and then try to come up with a actual historical backstory for the entire thing. And that's what I did. I, I wrote it kind of as a novel, except that it's done in the style of one of those coffee table books that you see at your friend's house or your house or whatever. And, you you know, you open it up and it's get, it's got all these learned essays and uh, stories and behind-the-scenes interviews and so forth with these people who made these movies. And plus, it's all full of posters and behind-the-scenes pictures and everything. So it's completely convincing. It's like Spinal Tap meets Grindhouse. And, <laughs> it's, it, and it ended up being such an original idea that it was a real hard sell, but eventually uh, I, I managed to put it out. And uh, that was two years of my life, you know, because it was such a massive art requirement. I actually had to learn how to do the artwork myself and you know it was it was a real undertaking and i'm really really proud of it it's one of the better things i've ever been involved with wow well wow. um and who ended up publishing that uh it was it was co-branded by uh, idw idn design works in uh, san diego california yeah. and uh another company called raw entertainment gotcha well, um, when you were younger, you started out originally as a rock and roll musician. What what led you to writing screenplays and novels? Is that something you always wanted to do, even when you were performing music? Yeah, of course. I, I That was my first love. I saw Star Wars when I was seven years old, and it knocked the hell out of me. I, I, was, I wanted to do movies after that. Um, and, you know, I've always been a reader and all, all of this. And, and uh, so, yeah, I've, I've always wanted to put on a show in some form or another. Uh, being a rock musician was just sort of a natural offshoot of the environment that I was raised in. My father was literally one of those bubblegum rock and rollers from the 60s that, you, that, that are so kind of in vogue with the retro guys these days, uh, like guys like the zombies and the turtles and so forth. Mm -hmm. uh, they, actually, my father was in a band that had a, a top 40 radio hit in L.A. called You're the Grooviest Girl in the World. 
<laughs> and, you know, it was, it was it's amazing. They have an album. Their the name of their band was Elephant Candy, and they had uh, I'm sorry, it wasn't Elephant Candy. It was, it was the Fun and Games, and their album was called Elephant Candy. When you look that stuff up, it's just amazing. They were they were they they performed songs that were written by their producer and everything. It was uh, it was a situation where rock kind of rock is my father. It kind of. Uh, I don't know, he sort of sold his soul to a Hollywood to be one of these, you know, teeny bopper rockers. And uh, he hated it so much that he ended up buying his uh, back his contract. And then he became a blues guy in, in Houston, Texas, where he was born and raised. And, uh, you know, he rubbed shoulders with guys like Stevie Ray Vaughan and Lucinda Williams, who are all friends of ours. And, uh, you know, Lyle Lovett. In fact, I think Rock just did a session with Lyle not too long ago. And... You know, it was this thriving music community, and not to be a part of that probably would have been ridiculous. So I, I had a band. I was a teenager, and we went out to clubs, and we play. We were like these sixteen-year-old kids, and we would open up for all the popular bands in town at the time. And it was a real sowing your wild oats period. But it was, you know, it was never something that I think I was destined to do. 100% professionally. Even though later in my career, I did do audio comic books. I did do um, a couple of other music-related things, but uh, the writing is what I was put on this earth to do for gotcha. whatever reason. Yeah. So, so what tips or advice would you offer for aspiring writers or filmmakers or screenwriters? Never give up. Never, ever give up. That's the best advice anybody can give anybody about anything. Uh, Joe Lansdale, who's one of my mentors and my, one of my heroes, he... He, someone asked him that question, and he said, put your ass in a chair and write. That's rule number one. And rule number two, see rule number one. <laughs> you know, you, you got to produce. You know, you can't just spend three years writing that first novel and expect to sell that and then become a famous writer overnight. You've got to be able to produce work, you know, on, on, a, on a consistent level, and it's got to be good, too. So, like, I've spent years training myself to just, like, sit down and do it. And that's the number one advice and, and don't be discouraged if your first novel doesn't fly and, you know, keep at it. And cause usually every first novel doesn't fly. I just did a blog recently, a, a guest blog uh, at, at, uh, at a website where I talked about my first book, which I actually published in a vanity room myself because nobody wanted it. But I tell you, I got some great advice from one of the guys who rejected it, you know? So, you know, you learn from all these experiences and you, you let it evolve. You know, when I was working on resurrection express, um, I eventually had to put it away for a while because I had another offer to work with Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan, the writers of the Saw films, on a novel called Blacklight, which came out last year. And it was really heartbreaking for me to put away Resurrection Express, but I had to do it because it was where my career was going at the time. And then everything worked out at the end of the day. So, like, there's there's a reason for everything, and you and you uh, and you let yourself evolve through it, and uh, always learn. And don't ever think you're old enough to 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 learn something from anybody. You know that's that's another thing is that is that uh, we're we are creatures that are that are gifted on this earth of having brains and we can evolve unlike uh, other animals who will only ever be you know tigers or whatever else for the rest of their lives. So um, we're we're we are we are creatures of vision and so use that vision. Great, uh, that's great advice. So so what what books fiction or nonfiction have you read lately that made an impact on you and that you would recommend you know i got to tell you i recently um um i, I uh, uh, 
a lady I know turned me on to uh, Francesca Leah Block, who is a, actually technically a young adult writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's one of these writers who transcends her genre, and she's just absolutely amazing. And uh, Stephanie turned me on to this book called Girl Goddess Number 9, which is a collection of short stories, and it's absolutely devastating and amazing and, like, so grown up and sophisticated that you don't, you realize just how conservative the publishing industry is because they tend to pigeonhole things if they're about girls or if they're about this or whatever. And uh, I highly recommend Francesca Leah Block. I just got into her this year. Um, It's not thriller stuff, but it's really amazing, uh, mostly slice of life, um, uh, very sort of emphatic uh, you know, kids in turmoil kind of things. And it's not condescending at all. It's, it's, it ranks up there with the best literature I've ever read. And that's another thing you should know about me is that I don't draw any dividing lines between much of anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I, one of my favorite movies of all time is a terrible Italian science fiction film called Star Crash because I see art in it. I really love that movie. <laughs> you know, and people look at you really funny and they back away slowly and they say, what the fuck is wrong with you? I'm sorry, can I say that? That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't ask you if I could swear on this thing. That's, that's um, But Francisca is awesome. And um, uh, I, uh, I read Game Change recently because I saw the movie with Ed, with Ed Harris. It was about the, uh, the elections. Um, right. Right. I thought that was a pretty informative book. It's a little dry, but it was very informative. I, the, that kind of political stuff just fascinates me. And recently I was compared to an author named Charlie Huston, uh, who, oddly enough, I'd never read before. And uh, we have a very similar style, and so I picked up his book, Caught Stealing, and I really, really enjoyed it. And uh, Tom Piccarilli, again, to bring him up again, he wrote a book recently, uh, well, he didn't write it recently, but it came out recently called The Last Kind Words, uh, which is just amazing. It's a, he, that guy is just one of the great unsung heroes of the entire literary world. Uh, I can't recommend Tom highly enough. Great. Well, what are you working on now? What are you writing now? Uh, right now, I just finished work on a Resurrection sequel, uh, you know, because we'll have another Elroy Coffin adventure. Uh, for those of you that haven't read the book, Elroy Coffin is the name of the character in Resurrection Express. Um, so we'll be getting a sequel to that, and then uh, I have another thing, which is a standalone book, and uh, yet another thing after that, which is a bit of a top-secret project. And then I have... Uh, at Blacklight the movie with Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunson. As a matter of fact, uh, Patrick and Marcus are in town right now for the, for Fantastic Fest, and they're showing their new movie, The, uh, the Collective. And we've been uh, palling around, and uh, I've been driving them all over the place and being the designated driver while they, they get drunk at the after parties. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I've been very fortunate to, uh, to, to be involved with them. And uh, we wrote this book together, and uh, Michael DeLuca uh, has it uh, currently under his wing, and he's a... Uh, uh, fostering it to be a feature film, so we're we're working on that too. So there's a lot going on. That's great. Well, where can people find you online? Uh, I'm at www.stephenromanoshockfestival.com, and uh, if you if you forget that, just Google my name. It's always the first hit that comes up. My website is a is a fun place to go. And, and and I'll have a link in the show notes as well that people can check out. Well, again, we've been speaking with Stephen Romano, author of the new novel, Resurrection Express. It's available in bookstores now. You should definitely check it out. Stephen, thanks for doing the interview. Oh, thank you very much, John. 
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.